for those of you who don't know, Mimi went, has been with us since we were in Red Oak, which is... Um, 1971. Thank you. And <laughs> we met in a school, we rented a school. Did we pay for it? I think. Or anyway, we rented a school, and we pulled all of our things in to teach the children, and, to, and then we had to take everything out, and so there were memories there mm -hmm. of a very small group. Our, uh, for those of you who don't know, the church started in a home Bible study, and um, we then rented property until we could buy this, and Mimi and Dan have been with us all that time, and Mimi has consistently shown a, a love for truth, a desire for the nations to know Christ and our missions efforts, I guess, from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, so you will, as you were doing your homework, you could see a love for truth. And, uh, mm -hmm. So Mimi, I look forward to hearing you again. and I really miss it, but um, I don't know, at the same time I know that God has, has us all in different circumstances. I was thinking about it the other day that um, all of us who are here have so many different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in Christian homes, some did not. Um, there are young women here, young mothers just getting started out. There are some part, maybe halfway along the way from the family. Um, there are grandmothers, there are great-grandmothers, and um, <clears throat> let's see, there are widows. All kinds of circumstances and backgrounds for us, and yet um, we have this one thing in common, don't we? to come here and set aside time to learn about our Lord. We have the same God. We, those of us, hopefully every one of us, know Jesus as our Savior. And so that's, that's what has drawn us together. And, um, well, I'll say it later, I guess, but I was thinking about Ruth. She's one of the examples in the lesson and how her past was not good. She was from Moab. She, that's where they worshiped idols. And, uh, and yet, look how her life changed, how God changed her life. And so whatever our past is, whether it was what we think of as reasonably good or not so good, uh, 
God can change all of that in our hearts right now. And I heard somebody just the other day on the radio say, we can't change our past, but we can change the future with God. So we don't have to live in the past or um, we, we just have a wonderful future with Him. So I'm so thankful for that. Anyway, I'm glad to be with y'all today. Um, I'll, I'll have this confession too. It, it, it has been really hard for me to focus in preparing, and I, I, I blame it on certain, certain circumstances at home. Maybe so. Your circumstances may be the same way. Joanne and I were just talking about having a hard time focusing maybe in the last day or so, or, or for longer. You, maybe you've got all these children running around, and you're dealing with them, or all kinds of issues. So, um, we all understand that. We understand each other, don't we, when it comes to that. So let's pray and start now. Father, I, I just thank you so much that I am able to be here today with these sisters in Christ. I thank you for how you've taught me over the years from your word and the faithful teaching of, of Howard and Beth and others in this church. You have blessed us tremendously. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll keep us, keep on, uh, may our church continue to focus on you and your gospel in the years to come, whatever happens. And, um, Lord, we know that Satan is after a church that stands for your truth and your gospel. And that's what we seek to do here. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised when his attacks come. But I'm so grateful, Lord, that you're greater than he is. Your word says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we know that's referring to your Holy Spirit being in us and Satan in the world. So thank you, Lord. You're so great and powerful and um, you love us and you've seen fit to bring all of us from our different backgrounds together into this church and into this lady's study, and I thank you for that. And I know that we will one day all be together in heaven with you. What a wonderful future and prospect we have. And so we're grateful, Lord, for that. <clears throat> and I pray now that you will uh, use this lesson in our hearts to help us and encourage us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I thought I would start out reading from this book. I'm, I remember I read from it a few years ago <coughs> in one of the classes. But it's just so, it's interesting and different to me. It's called How Readest Thou? You may be familiar with this man, J.C. Ryle. He, he lived from 1816 to 1900 and um, was a pastor. But it's, it says that in his early days, he once believed that Christianity must be one of the most disagreeable occupations on earth or in heaven. That was the way he thought. And then God saved him and, and he became a pastor. But he, I love the way he puts things. <clears throat> and so I just thought I'd read some because one of the main focuses on our lesson is knowledge, 
that we are to gain knowledge of God and his word, how important that is. And so that's what he's talking about in this book. And it's called How Readest Thou? And so he uses Old English, so that's why he, he was from a long time ago. What is written in the law? How readest thou? That's in Luke 10, 26. Reader, the question before your eyes is 1,800 years old. It was asked by our Lord Jesus Christ. It was asked concerning the Bible. I invite you to examine and consider this question. I warn you, it is just as mighty and important now as it was on the day when it came from our Lord's lips. I want to apply it to the conscience of everyone who reads this paper and to knock at the door of his heart. I would fain sound a trumpet in the ear of everyone who speaks English and cry aloud, How readest thou? Dost thou read the Bible? Why do I hold this question to be of such mighty importance? Why do I press it on the notice of every man as a matter of life and death? Give me your attention for a few minutes and you shall see. Follow me through these pages and you shall hear why I ask, How readest thou? Dost thou read the Bible? Knowledge of biblical truth is needful for salvation. I ask first of all because there is no knowledge absolutely needful to a man's salvation except a knowledge of the things which are to be found in the Bible. We live in days when the words of Daniel are fulfilled before our eyes. Many run to and fro and knowledge is increased. Schools are multiplying on every side. <clears throat> New colleges are set up. Old universities are reformed and improved. New books are continually coming forth. More is being taught, more is being learned, more is being read than there ever was since the world began. It is all well, I rejoice at it. An ignorant population is a perilous and expensive burden to any nation. But this I say, we must never forget that all the education a man's head can receive will not save his soul from hell unless he knows the truths of the Bible. A man may have prodigious learning, yet never be saved. He may be master of half the languages spoken around the globe. He may be acquainted with the highest and deepest things in heaven and earth. He may have read books till he's like a walking cyclopedia. He may be familiar with the stars of heaven, the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and the fishes of the sea. He may be able, like Solomon, to speak of trees from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows on the wall, of beasts also, and fowls, and creeping things, and fishes. He may be able to discourse of all the secrets of fire, air, earth, and water. And yet, if he dies ignorant of Bible truths, he dies a miserable man. Chemistry never silenced a guilty conscience. Mathematics, mathematics never healed a broken heart. All the sciences in the world never smoothed down a dying pillow. No earthly philosophy ever supplied hope in death. No natural theology ever gave peace in the prospect of meeting a holy God. All these things are of the earth, earthy, and can never raise a man above the earth's level. 
they may be enable a man they may enable a man to strut and fret his little season here below with a more dignified gait than his fellow mortals, but they can never give him wings and enable him to soar towards heaven. He that has the largest share of them will find at length that without Bible knowledge he has got no lasting possession. Death will make an end of all his attainments, and after death they'll do him no good at all. A man may be a very ignorant man and yet be safe. He may be unable to read a word, write a letter. He may know nothing of geography beyond the bounds of his own parish and be utterly unable to say which is nearest, Paris or New York. He may know nothing of arithmetic and not see any, dif any difference between a million and a thousand. He may know nothing of science and its discoveries, and whether Julius Caesar won his victories by gunpowder or the apostles had a printing press or the sun goes around the earth may be matters about which he has not an idea. And yet, if that very man has heard Bible truth with his ears and believed it with his heart, he knows enough to save his soul. He will be found at last with Lazarus in Abraham's bosom while his scientific fellow creature who has died unconverted is lost forever. Knowledge of the Bible, in short, is the one knowledge that is needful. <laughs> A man may get to heaven without money, learning, health, or friends, but without Bible knowledge he will never get there at all. A man may have the mightiest of minds and a memory stored with all that mighty mind can grasp. And yet, if he does not know the things of the Bible, he will make shipwreck of his soul forever. Woe, woe, woe to the man who dies in ignorance of the Bible. Reader, this is the book about which I'm addressing you today. It is no light matter what you do with such a book. It concerns the life of your soul. I summon you, I charge you to give an honest answer to my question. What art, thou do, what art thou doing with the Bible? Dost thou read it? How readest thou? He goes on to say that some people who read it don't read it rightly. <laughs> and I'm skipping, of course, lots of things. This is impressive too. It is still the first book which fits the child's mind when he begins to learn religion and the last to which the old man clings as he leaves the world. In short, it suits all ages, ranks, climates, minds, conditions. It is the one book which suits the world. The Bible alone teaches us that God has made a full, perfect, and complete provision for the salvation of fallen men. So, so that, that's why we're here today, isn't it? To study and learn more about this wonderful book we call the Bible and <clears throat> the things that God, he didn't leave us to not know what he wants us to know. Isn't it a wonderful thing? We wouldn't know how he wants us to be. He hadn't told us. And um, I remember hearing Eric Flintock when he was here last time talking to the young people. And he's telling our young people, you know, it, this is not normal what you're doing, sitting here learning God's word over the world. It is not normal. 
And it's so easy, isn't it, to take it for granted. And we're so used to it. Our children grow up here in God's Word. And they need to hear that. This is a special privilege that we have to be able to come in here right here today and sit here and learn God's Word. And so we should not take it for granted. I don't think any of you all do, none of us do, but it's, it's good to remind ourselves, I think. Um, <clears throat> let's go and read some of it right now. Second Peter chapter 1. I thought the verse that, that this lesson is about is verse 5, but I want to back up and just begin with verse 1 of chapter 1. And again, I'm jumping in this with y'all, and I admit I have not been studying the other lessons, so forgive me if we say some of the same things. But um, let's start with this. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, and here's what our lesson is focused on today, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. <clears throat> Some years ago, when uh, my father was still alive, living with us, he was over 100 then, and Stacy, my daughter, his granddaughter, came up to him one day, and she had, for some reason, been studying that verse about applying all diligence. And she asked him, Daddy, Mark, please pray that I will do that, apply all diligence. And so I was glad in her learning, and I was glad that she felt that way. And, that's what we all wanted. We have to apply, apply ourselves to learn God's Word. Um, I don't think I'm going to go over each um, question that's on the lesson. So I thought we'll, we'll just jump in right here, knowing that Peter, you all have probably already gone over what kind of man he was like, right? Did you? <laughs> I just wrote down a lot of things and I debated. Now, when shall I say something about this? I'll just do it right now. <clears throat> when we think about Peter, I would never, if, and knowing what he was like in the early years, would you ever have thought he would write two books for the Bible? I wouldn't have thought so. Let's think about what all he was like. Well, just tell me some things. What do you know? What was he like and what he experienced? As a, in the early years with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I was wondering too, I don't think we told anywhere about, I guess he had grown up going to synagogue, you know, and learning, learning from, from those years. What else? He always said when everybody else was thinking. That's true. <laughs> yeah, lots of times I thought, well, are we heard it talk too. He shouldn't have said that. He should have been quiet and sitting there listening. But really, I'm glad he did because we have the, the way Jesus 
answered him and did not um, put him down. He would give him good answers, and it is true. A lot of times, maybe the rest of them were thinking certain things, but were afraid to say it. What else about him? That's right. He really seemed like he meant that. He said, Lord, I'll go with you. I'll die with you. And then we know he was real impetuous and emotional, and he thought he was supposed to fight for Jesus when the uh, crowd came to arrest him and cut off. He cut off one of the men's ears. What else? Right, he rebuked Jesus. He didn't when he started talking about his death was going to come. No, not so, Lord. Y'all hear that? How God used his natural boldness? Yeah. Anything else? Well, let's see. I had some other things down too. Just, we know these things. He listened to Jesus teach. He watched him healed sick. <laughs> he watched him raised dead. He saw him still a storm. He ate with him. Just normal things that we all love to do with each other. Eating with him. He touched him. He saw him feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He saw him walk on the water. And then he remembered, he said, Lord, let me come to you. And he got out and tried it too until he sank. And he was so thrilled to meet Jesus. Um, and then at one point when the Bible says that some people fell away from following Jesus, he didn't. He didn't at that point. And then he was one of the three who was present at the transfiguration. Think of that. You didn't see that. Um, he's the one who acknowledged to Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. So he was convinced of who Jesus was. And then um, when uh, the women came and told him, we've seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He's alive. He got up and ran. He was one of the ones who ran to the tomb and looked inside. And again, he was outspoken. He was boisterous and extremely emotional. And he thought for sure he would follow Jesus to the death. So then he denied him. And he was driven by fear at that point. <clears throat> and remember, he was afraid of just a little servant girl who said, you, you're with him, aren't you? And he cursed. said, no, he didn't even know him. He didn't even know Jesus. But Jesus forgave him and restored him. And again, how, how encouraging that is to us when we fall flat so many times and don't, um, don't live like we should in our homes or before other people, we can always start over. God gives me, his, the, his word says his mercies are new every morning. Um, and I thought about his, his name is in the Bible and all of his faults are just right out there for all of us to see. How would we feel if, if it had been one of our names that everybody sees? But then it, it's, it is a comfort because because he was forgiven and restored and became so strong in the Lord. Um, 
He became fervent. He received God's revelation, writing part of the Bible. <laughs> and then we know that Jesus prayed for him. He told him, I prayed for you. He loved him anyway and forgave him. He empowered him. And so he does this for us. So when we come to him and ask his help and forgiveness, he loves to help us. I'm so thankful he does. Let's look at number two. We're going to, uh, I don't know that I have the same page numbers that you have, but anyway, it's number two. And Peter's telling us now what he's learned. He's, he's had time to absorb so much about who God is and what God wants us to know. And I had asked that you go back and read uh, chapter one through chapter two, three, and just to write down all those personal pronouns. He's writing to us. He's, at that point, he's writing to believers, of course, then. But we're, we're the believers now who benefit from this. Just call out some of the things um, that you saw, the, the personal pronouns and what, what he has done for us. That's amazing. <laughs> we don't, do we have an excuse? No, not really. What else? You, that's us, all right. Well, and I, we, we won't go through all of it, but I just haven't underlined and written down myself, and it took up a lot of, of space. We talked about it's your faith, your knowledge, your self-control, your perseverance, your godliness, your brotherly kindness. These qualities, if he said these qualities are yours, then you're neither useless nor unfruitful. And that is a real comfort to me. How, we may all be uh, confined to our homes, or maybe we're not outstanding somehow in uh, leadership positions or whatever, but God notices. He knows what we're like at, at our homes, in our quiet moments together. And he says, he says if we are learning those qualities, these different qualities that we're going to see. We're not useless or unfruitful. Isn't that great? That's exciting. Look at number three. Uh, now our verse for today begins with the words, now for this very reason. What's the reason he's talking about? What's he referring to? What he's just said. That he's granted us everything we need. That's the reason he's saying then uh, that we have these great and precious promises so that we can partake of God's divine nature, which is amazing. Um, what is the one entity that Peter said we've all received, all of us have received? What? Faith. His, the precious faith. And what faith is that? You know, we hear people on TV talk about now, I have my faith sustains me, or I have faith, and they don't finish the sentence. Who? What's he talking about? What faith? Right. Saving faith. Faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what, the, that's what he's talking about. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus alone and what he did for us in, in dying and paying for our sins, we, that precious faith, our faith must be in him. And since that's true, 
and we have this saving faith, what do we do now, now that we have it? Francis Schaeffer, a theologian who died some years ago, wrote a book uh, in view of all that we, we have received from God. He, he entitled it, How Should We Then Live? How should we live now? Whatever your, our stage in life is, how are we to live now? And uh, there, there are seven qualities that are listed in verses 5 through 7 that he tells us we need to add to our faith. We add to it. Now, we, I think I may be skipping on down, but we know that we're to live by faith. Um, our works do not qualify us, really. I mean, we, we belong to him through faith, but we're to, to work on these things and let him work these in us. And what are they? Somebody would, somebody would just call out the seven qualities. Okay, and so again, I, I did skip ahead. The next one I questioned was, do you ever feel like you're useless or unfruitful as a Christian? Well, God says, if you have those qualities, or you're working on them, you're growing in them, then we're not useless or unfruitful. And then in number seven, we're to do it with all diligence. It's not a... Uh, a lackadaisical way of, of living life. It does not just happen automatically that we all become up, sweet old ladies. Um, we have to work at it. And we start to start when you're young, change, letting God change our thinking and our, the words we choose to say and the attitudes and so on. Um, did anybody look up what does the word diligence mean? Enthusiasm, okay. Mm -hmm. With purpose. What? What'd you say? Stick to it. That's good. Yeah. Earnestness. I saw zeal, and sometimes haste, and carefulness. Carefulness. Hmm? Persistence. Yeah. Right. That's what we're to do. We're to get with it. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Then. I'm sorry. We do. You are absolutely right. And um, quite often, God, I've learned, and I'm sure maybe you have, that you bring things to the surface in our lives and hearts that maybe we didn't even know were there or that we needed to work on. <clears throat> and it's not always fun or easy either, but, but um, God, pruning hurts, <laughs> but it's good for us. So we must remember that. No. Yes. Did everybody hear that? <laughs> Say it louder. Right. Good. Thank you, Pam. Um, Well, I had down, to, I asked you what a supply means because he's telling us to supply these things to our lives. What, what does that mean? It may be a different word in your book. I, mean, I, I looked it up until I was blind. Mm -hmm. Add something essential or what? Wanting, that's not, that is lacking. Mm -hmm. Well, I found something too that said to supply fully or abundantly. And the example it gave, where I looked it up, it said that in ancient Greece, that word was used 
in uh, choreography or for one who paid this or supplied the expenses for some chorus or plays or so forth. And um, it came to mean support in, in God's word to support our faith in a sense with these virtues. So what's the first virtue that we see we need here? What? Moral excellence, moral excellence, yeah. Um, and also, what all does that mean? What, how, what does that cover? Moral excellence. Hmm? In what way in our life? I mean, what does that mean? Goodness? Doing what's right? Yes. That's good. Um, what I found too was that it, um, in the Roman culture, it it meant that you were a person was characterized by the finest of Roman manhood, strength and valor and courage and excellence, high high character overall. Not just uh, we would generally think of moral excellence, maybe in. Uh, um, sexual term of being faithful to your husband and so on. But it is that, but there's all this other too. Just a high character overall. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, it's like mm -hmm. Children absorb so much, don't they? Watching. Anybody else? True. Yeah. That's good. Anybody else? Right. It's the heart, isn't it? It's really a heart issue. I mean, again, we're told to gain a lot of knowledge, and we need it, and we're not to not get it. But look at the Pharisees. They had lots of knowledge about God's Word. They knew it, but their hearts were not right. It's sort of like what J.C. Law said. They read the Bible, but how did they read it? They didn't apply it when they, Jesus was standing in front of them the Son of God, they weren't really believing him. So again, I, I would encourage all the ones who are still raising children too. Um, yeah, they need to learn God's word, learn verses, memorize them, but don't just assume because they know the right words and know the scriptures that, that their heart is, is toward knowing God and trusting him. We can know the right words, and they can. But then those of us who have grown children now and grandchildren, we've seen what that's like. Um, each person has his own personality and own decider. <laughs> and so my main um, advice on that is pray. Pray, pray, pray for your children. Pray for them. And, and, uh, Really get to know them um, best you, as best you can, and um, see how see how God is working. Is He really working? Are they really absorbing and believing for their own lives what they're hearing? And, and then am I as, as a mother or a grandmother or whatever? Let's see. 
Okay, um, one person, this is number three in day two. Number three, one person who is an example of such moral excellence is Ruth. I'm going to ask you to write out that verse. Would somebody read that verse, Ruth 311? Okay, well, I should have said, okay, that was Boaz who, who ended up marrying Ruth. Ruth, you know, was a Moabite and come back with her mother, her mother-in-law, Naomi, to live in Israel. And um, she had told her she was, had been in an idolatrous family, and yet she, had, uh, by, evidently by observing Naomi and possibly her husband, she realized they know the true God. And so she said, your God's going to be my God. And your people, my people. And so that was the way she lived. And when they were back in Israel, she was committed to her mother-in-law and her well-being. And so her reputation was known. That's what Boaz told her. Uh, all the people of my town know that you're a virtuous woman. And uh, so she, her past was not good, but she was changed. So... We are to begin to add to our faith as well and grow in grace. And, and it is a growth process. It takes time. And we have to remember that too with our children, I think. Not to expect too much of them um, until they've had time to grow and learn how to trust God, how to live for Him. Okay? Uh, God, number four, God places great worth on a virtuous woman or wife. And somebody read Proverbs 31.10 about this virtuous woman. That means far above jewels, far above rubies, God values a virtuous woman. That's extremely important, extremely valuable to him. And so... Again, we can't become all this on our own, of course, just by um, hard work. It, it's God working in us. It's His Holy Spirit working in us. And we just have to ask Him. Ask Him for help. He loves to help us and, and be in His Word, and He helps us. Um, I was thinking, too, of, of uh, how He's helped at times, you, you may look back if you've been a believer for a while and you'll think, after you something, said something, oh, I shouldn't have said that, and God convicts me or convicts you. Well, and then there are other times where there's real obvious growth, and, and we are so joyful and happy to say, oh, I was really able, God enabled me to really be kind to him or her in that situation. And I thank you, God, because you really are changing me. And if I didn't, I can go to that person and ask him to forgive me and go to God, and he, and he does. And then we just start over. How many times in my years of our years, I, Dan and I have been married almost 53 years now, how many times have I gone to him or in the same he to me and say, I was so wrong the way I said that. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? And yeah, I will. Thank God we do. And sometimes I don't always feel like it. I don't feel like forgiving, and I'm sure at times he didn't, but I say to, to God, I know you told me to do it, and I'm going to do it because you told me to. I want to obey you. And he does. He helps you. He helps us through it all. Um, so, it's that's good. Yes. He does. He does. Yeah. 
Okay, let's see. Uh, number five, what are some of those virtuous qualities that you find in the remainder of Proverbs 31? This Proverbs 31 woman, I don't know if she was a real person or not. Do y'all <laughs> She was something else. But anyway, we can, God wants us to learn from her. What are some of her qualities? Huh? Trustworthy. Yeah, I, that's, to me, that is one of the main things that says her husband trusts her. Can my husband trust me? Well, for example, with money. Can he trust me? Am I going to go out and overspend or add too much on the credit card? Can he trust me that when I'm with my girlfriend that I'm not going to run him down and bring up his faults? I hope he doesn't do that. I don't think men do that, maybe like women might do, when we get in a group and just start falling in line or saying things that would be very hurtful. So, what else? How else would we want our husbands to trust us? Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, she does him good and not evil. Does he good? Does he always deserve it? No. Do I always deserve it when he treats me, when daddy treats me well? No. Do we deserve it when God treats us well? No. But that's what we're to do for our husbands. What else did it say about her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far she had to bring it, this lady. Yeah. What else? Uh-huh. Had a warm house, okay. It was cold weather. And it said she made her she wasn't afraid for the cold for her children. She had things that they needed to wear to keep warm. What else did she do? She speaks with wisdom and kindness. Mm. Lord, was that kind what I said? Mm. Help me. And he will. He does. That's what's so wonderful. What else? What about about her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helps the poor, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's important. It sure is, as a young mother especially, with all you have to do. It's so easy to neglect yourself. You're so busy with the children. And before you go. And it has to be that way a lot. I find it kind of made up like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I've always loved what doing things in A woman, you can have so many careers in your home if you don't need to work outside. I'm not saying that. But look at all the things. You can be a nurse and take care of your children when they get hurt. You're a chef. You cook the food. Um, you're a cleaning lady. Clean the toilets. Um, do laundry. Maybe sew. Everybody does sew. If you can. What else? What else do we do? Um, Uh-huh. It does seem that way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I can remember years ago going to the store with just a certain amount of money. And it hadn't changed a whole lot now, but then, anyway, uh, ask God for help and, and just finding all kinds of things on sale. And uh, it's, it's fun to see how you can do that. Um, well, you know, we've heard so many things about this woman. I think good. All right, let's move on then. The second quality that we are to add to our faith is knowledge. Um, I have down that, that this kind of knowledge that God is talking about, does it come from just intellectual pursuits? No, and that's not wrong. Intellectual pursuits are not wrong. They can be very good. But he's talking more, I think, about spiritual knowledge, which comes through the Holy Spirit, and it's focused on the person and the Word of God. That's what he's wanting us to grow in. And two familiar women that um, I put down that we all know about, Mary and Martha, my, my great aunt Carlton, I used to go to watch her do things cook and stuff in her house, and she would just talk to me, and she said, I've always felt sorry for Martha because she was, you know, she was just busy doing stuff. And so, in a way, I guess we do, we can identify with her. We stay so busy, don't we? We can stay so busy, and we're too busy sometimes. And so, she's upset because Mary wasn't helping her, and I thought, I'd probably be that way too. And she said, Lord, tell Mary to come in here and help me. I'm trying to get all this food ready, and you're here, and others, I guess. And Jesus, what did he say to her? Mm -hmm. Mary's chosen a better part. He said, Martha, Martha, only a few things are needful. I thought, maybe a sandwich or something, you know. <laughs> and, and that Mary had the... Um, spiritual insight that she needed to sit and hear what Jesus was saying. And um, so that's why he said she's chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. What we learn and know about him, it won't be taken away from us. Whatever happens, it won't. And so... <laughs> so it's not a separate room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, that's what we want to do. And, I, and you've chosen the better part today. There are no, there's no telling how many things all of us could be doing today, and they're needful things, but to take, take the time, set it aside, and come and sit and just take a deep breath. And I know how that is as a young mother. Once you all get here, it's <sighs> But do you know it doesn't change much when you get old, does it? There's still... Oh, I'm glad I'm here. That's the way I feel every Sunday morning when we pull in. We made it. <laughs> and I'm thankful. So that's the better part, to learn and grow in Christ. Now, the scriptures are full of verses on knowledge. This is day three, number one. And uh, what does Proverbs 1, 7 say about knowledge? Produces Okay, my version said it's the beginning of knowledge, but it would be both then. The fear of the Lord. We need to have a healthy fear of Him. Not, this, not terrified in that sense, but a healthy fear of God is a good thing. Um, yes, He is love, and I'm thankful for that. But He's also 
Well, there's another verse in there somewhere that says, Behold the goodness and severity of God. He's, he's also the judge. <laughs> and uh, so a healthy fear. I mean, I think about my own father. I just remember not wanting to displease him because I loved him and because I knew he loved me. You just don't want to displease him and incur his discipline. Why, if I don't need to? <laughs> so that's a good healthy fear. And, and on knowledge, we know only God has perfect knowledge, but he's willing to share his knowledge with us. That's what this wonderful book, the Bible, is all about. Um, I wanted to use just this last bit about um, Peter himself. Let's see, I may skip some more of this, these things that we had down about knowledge, but I'll just call some of these things out. Wise people, it says, store up knowledge. If we are wise, we want to be, don't we? We're going to store up knowledge and learn all we can about him. We never can get enough. We need to read his word over and over and over again. That Dan and I do that every day. I'll just give that as a testimony as, a, as an old lady. How much we enjoy sitting and reading God's word, and we've read through it, I've forgotten how many times now, but still learning learning, learning. So many times one of us will say, well, I didn't know that that we read, and I will have had it underlined. You know, obviously we've read it before, but a lot of times, like Becky said, due to our circumstances, whatever we're going through, a lot of times a certain verse will jump out at us that maybe before we just kind of read over. Keep learning. Keep growing. Um, then Colossians 2.3 says, In whom, speaking of Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all in him. The tre knowledge of him is a treasure. So, also in 1 Corinthians, we are admonished that knowledge can puff us up. We have to guard against that. Um, but love edifies. How do, how do we use the knowledge that we've got about God with other people? Say, for example, with a, an unbeliever or some other fellow Christian who may not know some of the things you know. How, how do we use it? How should we? What? Lovingly. Mm -hmm. Carefully. Uh, not trouncing someone with what I know. <laughs> uh-huh. Humility, that's good, yes. Yes, because we don't have, God says we, we don't have anything except what he's given us. So that should cause us to be humble. Then Ephesians 3.19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ is so great that it's beyond our understanding. So, what a wonderful gift we have from God. And then I just wanted to go on over here to some things about Peter and how he was changed on, on the last page there. Um, well, actually, it's number four on mine, um, under day three. Uh, we know that Peter was lacking in moral excellence, wasn't he? When he, and in courage and conviction, when he denied Christ, he was lacking that. 
Um, and then I had asked, how can you display such moral excellence before your children if you have children? And you did mention that already. To be a truth teller, they, they pick up on it so quickly, don't they? If you, if you say one thing one time and another thing another, they'll But you said. Uh -huh. And so be truth tellers. That's what they need to learn. Um, how, what, what kind of books do I read? What kind of movies do I see? How do I dress? So many ways to influence our children, but they need to see this calm assurance that we have in Him. They need to, to absorb that. That is true. Yes, because we, it can appear to children, well, mama or daddy or even, they have always been like that. You know, we, um, and we haven't. And it's good for them to hear our own testimonies of how we came to know Christ. We weren't always believers, and we not, haven't always been the way we are now. We're growing, and we hopefully won't stay the way we are now. We'll keep growing. That is true. That is true. And we fail so many times. I, and I remember, too, still, uh, children are very forgiving. If you, as a mother, if you lashed out somehow, you know how it is. Sometimes you just get oh, no. <laughs> but they are so forgiving. I, that if you ask your child to forgive you and say, I was wrong when I said that to you like that, please forgive me. And how many times they hug me and say, oh, that's okay, Mom. So, they, but they need to see that. See, we need forgiveness too. Yeah. Well, just at the time we have left, I wanted to just think about what God did in Peter once um, the resurrection had happened. He's seen the risen Christ. He's been forgiven. Where he had denied him so and cursed and said, I don't even know him. God has, Jesus has forgiven him. And he, remember they sat there at the breakfast by the sea and, and, and Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And on that point, this may sound foolish to y'all, but it was not until a few years ago that it really dawned on me that God wanted me to love him. I just, I believed him. I believed his word. And I knew the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Somehow it just didn't register with me like it does now. That's I'm sure been a part of my growth process. That he wants you and me to love him. It's, it's, it's a great thing. <laughs> So, anyway, that's what Peter had been through. Now he, you can't stop him now. And where he was afraid of that little servant girl before and feared man and just followed along, at least he did follow. I thought of that. Have you? John went in after, when they arrested Jesus. And, and Peter, he went in. And it says the rest of them ran away. He went in. But... Um, he was so afraid, and now he's not afraid anymore. And uh, the same men that he had been so afraid of, these Israelites and, and the Pharisees and the others, who, who, whoever they were, who came out to arrest Jesus, he was so fearful, and yet now you can't stop him. It's just, I just love it, all these uh, scriptures where starting, well, for example, in Acts 2.14, but Peter, now this was um, after Pentecost, 
standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And then he goes on. At the next Acts 2, 22 through 24, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, <laughs> think of that, by lawless hands have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It's just so exciting. I hope we're, Dan and I talk about a lot. We hope God will show us lots of videos in heaven of all these different events. Maybe we'll get to see that, too. Uh, look at the last, last one there, Acts 4, 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed, done to a helpless man, the one who'd been healed, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we know then that the Bible tells us those, many of those people were pricked to the heart and said, what, what, what shall we do? And he told them, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And a lot of them were. That's the way you see. See, which ones of those, I think, who uh, had been so hostile to Jesus some of those may have been some of the ones who, who believed on him later. So, that's it. Thank you, ladies. It's good to be with you.